So as you're flipping there, I'll just give you a quick history about myself. Just, um, I grew up in North Stonington. Um, I grew up on the church parsonage there. My grandfather, Jay Chapel, was the pastor at North Stonington Bible Church, and um, my father was the assistant pastor. So I grew up hearing the gospel message every single morning in devotions. We had Wednesday night, we had Saturday night hymn sing, we hear the gospel Sunday morning services, and from a young age, I understood that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved, and trusted the Lord at a young age. But as I grew into um, starting high school, going to Wheeler, I just got sucked in with the wrong crowd and doing all kinds of stuff I should have been doing. I actually flunked out ninth grade at Wheeler, and so my parents... Um, pulled me out and started homeschooling me, 10, 11, 12. So I, I couldn't do sports, which was everything to me then. Sports was like, you know, the most important thing. So I paid the same amount of taxes, but you can't go do the sports and stuff. So I got a horse and um, started riding, started um, first time my horse needed shoes, a farrier came out and he needed someone to apprentice with him. So I started working with a farrier, doing an apprenticeship and I'd do my school at night. And all, that kind of got me into rodeos too. And so if you're wondering how I had an interest in that, just in case you don't know, my grandfather, even though he wore a suit and tie on Sunday, he was a redneck at heart. I remember as being a little kid, playing outside of his house, and there was a squirrel going crazy in a tree right by where his office was. And I heard this squeaky window open, and I look up, and I see a shotgun barrel come out, and boom! And then the window goes back down, and he gets back to studying. And, but he was from Oklahoma, and he was a cowboy and when he was younger. So I just kind of had an interest in that. And as um, I got into that, it was, it was very appealing to me. Like, here I am in 10th grade age. What is that? It was like 15, 16. And I'm making money. I go start working for this guy, and I'm getting paid well. And he's giving me my own clients. And all my friends are riding a school bus to school. And I'm just thinking, how stupid are they? Like, I got money coming in, and I'm doing rodeo on the weekends. And and all of that was kind of a slow drift to where when you're doing that every single weekend, I'm off somewhere in Pennsylvania or Virginia or Ohio at a rodeo, now missing church on a regular basis all summer long, and um, just drifting from the Lord. And having understood the gospel, I knew I was a sinner, I knew all that, but it was something where I heard it so much. You know, when you, I think of people that live in Colorado, they don't walk out every single morning and are just absolutely amazed at the creation around them. You kind of just, you, you forget what uh, privilege it is to have God's word and to have the gospel and to understand it and what God's done for us. And I remember it was um, the, it was in the winter, probably the end of the winter, March or April or something of 98, I was at a rodeo in New York City and I made my ride, crowds cheering, I'm thinking I got a paycheck coming and I heard something in my arm popped, and it was a tendon or ligament came back here, and this thing swelled up, and my whole arm was blue, and I couldn't close my hand. And, and 
I'm just thinking, you know, like right then, I can't work. Like, I can't make money now. I can't rodeo now. I can't do anything. Like, all that was taken away in a second. And the same exact time, some of you guys might know John Krajak. John was like, well, since you can't do what you do, I'm going on a trip to New Guinea. You can come along and um, see what this is like. And I loved missionaries because it was the... It was the time where you get to come to church and look at pictures instead of Greek words and charts and graphs, you know? It's, I, I love missionaries. I, had, I wasn't listening to what they're saying. I'm just like, hey, thanks, there's pictures instead of slideshows. And so that's why I love missionaries. And I didn't understand missions. I didn't know what it was all about. But I got over there, and I'm eyeball to eyeball with people who have never heard the gospel before. And I'm talking to the missionaries like, well, let's just tell them the gospel. And they're like, well, they all speak a different language right here. This whole group of this mountain range right here, they all speak a language that nobody knows. Like, no, no one's gone in there, learned that language, and told them. I'm like, oh, well, how long does that take? You know, and it's like, it was just a shock to me that the gospel that I had preached to me every single day, probably, literally when I was growing up, there are still people groups today that have zero access to the gospel. Among their whole language, there is no one who can go in, clearly explain the gospel to them. They have no scripture whatsoever. There's still 3,100 people groups in the world that don't have gospel witness yet where someone could tell them um, about the Lord. And I was just, I was just shocked at that. I was like, that can't be, but I'm actually looking at them. I'm seeing them. And that, that was an amazing time. There's 3.2 billion people in the world today that pretty much have no access to the gospel. And a lot of that now is in the 1040 window. If you're familiar with that phrase, it's that whole section through there where it's mostly Muslim area where this, they're hostile towards the gospel, or at least the governments are. So that summer I was just learning, okay, yes, the gospel's gone to every political country, like the way when we say nations now, okay, we think China, Russia, America. When we look in, in the Bible and we see nations or we see Gentiles, and in the Old Testament you'll see peoples and nations, all those are referring to specific people groups. And it's, it's very specific. The actual Greek word in the Great Commission is the Patate ethne is where we get the ethne is where we get ethnic groups, so people groups. So when Jesus is saying, I want you to go to all the ethnic groups, all the people groups, he's being very specific there. He could have just said, hey, go make a bunch of disciples, as many as you can. Now he's saying, I want some from all the ethnic groups of the world. And um, that, I was just coming to grips with that uh, during that time and seeing that Lord, if you could use me, like my skill set was I can put metal in a fire, heat it up, and I can bend it, and I can ride bulls. Those aren't exactly elder qualifications. Like this is not very good resume for wanting to become a missionary and doing translation and stuff like that. Plus I was, um, I had serious learning disabilities too as a kid. I had dyslexia and um, probably still do so but um, all of that to say I, I just felt like I'm not enough but I see the need and I was just saying Lord if you could use me 
I'll be willing to go. So from Papua New Guinea, I filled out an application to Bible school, and they accepted me. I was all excited. I didn't know they just accepted everybody. I thought I was special. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I had like 24 hours. I landed in Providence and got back to my house, you know, like on a Sunday or something, and classes were starting Monday morning. And I walked into my room, and after being with tribal people who would take garbage plastic bags and make a soccer ball and kick it around and have fun, they had nothing. They had grass huts. And I walked in my room, and there's skis and mountain bikes, and there's saddles, and there's guitars, and there's just all this stuff. And I was just like, like it was just like a big mirror of like, you're selfish. <laughs> like, look at, look at what you just, like, everything revolved around you and what, what you wanted, even though I knew the gospel. Like, I understood the gospel. If someone asked me, I could explain it. I could say, I believe it. But my life did not reflect that whatsoever. Um, so that was, that was a good start to go into Bible school. The other good start was I drove out there Sunday night, school starting Monday morning, and I got out of my car, and I'm walking up to the main entrance, and there's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen sitting on the front steps right there. And I was like, whoa, this is a good start right here. <laughs> and that ended up being Penny. Um, we, we ended up being uh, witnessing partners. And um, yeah, it wasn't long. We were engaged quickly, married quickly. So we got married in 99. And... Um, so for her, it was a little slower process because she's absolutely petrified of flying. She hates snakes, spiders, all these things. She had no clue. She was there at Bible school because she wanted to learn more about God, basically. Kind of grew up in a legalistic home, and she just wanted to study the Bible and learn more about God. And here I am. I'm like, I'm, I'm set on this. This is what I want to do. And, and so you hear all kinds of things when you say, man, I have an interest in missions. And in this verse, let's start getting into the scripture here. Um, this verse, I remember reading it in New Guinea that summer. Um, we'll start with 20. We're going to approach this a little bit different, but let's just read 20. We don't have any visual yet. We have something on Okay. Um, Okay. Actually, I don't have a slide yet, so I'll, but I'll just pull it up so we're ready to go. Okay. And in this way, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. And, and I took that one verse right there out of context, and I'm like, that's it. There's, I already know it. I've seen them with my eyes. There's people that have not heard the gospel yet. In their language group, they have not heard. And you get back here, and as there was like, yeah, there's people that haven't heard, but there's a lot of people here that haven't heard. So I'm having to kind of dig in and be like, okay, is God, are you, do you really want me to quit all this, everything, and go try to reach these people. Is there a biblical basis for wh what Paul was saying here? Was this just for Paul? Um, can I apply this to my life? And um, 
so it was just a real digging in. Romans chapter 15 was, I had to get into the whole thing. I had to get into the whole book of Romans. And let's, let's go just keep your finger in 15 and look at um, chapter 1. Because he says something here. He starts a thought in chapter 1 of Romans. And he's not going to finish it until chapter 15. Uh, let's start with 9. So chapter 1 verse 9 it says for god whom i serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son is my witness as to how without ceasing i make mention of you always in my prayers earnestly asking if perhaps now at last by the will of god i may succeed in coming to you for i long to see you so that you may so that i may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be strengthened. That is, to be mutually encouraged while among you by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, how often I have planned to come to you and I have been prevented so far so that I may have some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So he starts this this thought here, he tells them, I want to come see you. I want to come encourage you guys. We know that Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't there and gave them the gospel at first. And, but he knew there was a church there. He knew there were Jews and Gentiles who uh, were gathering as a church. And he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to go see them. But something was preventing him from getting there. What was it? That was, and that's a good thing, right? To, to say, like, the Apostle Paul wants to come and visit us and encourage us, strengthen our faith. He wants to be encouraged. That's a good thing. That's, that's a very good thing. But something was preventing him. In verse 22, if you had your finger in 15, 15, verse 22, it says, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you. Just stop right there. So he already explained what it was. And in this chunk, we're going to read from, um, let's, we'll start in 18, but he's going to say two crazy things that you actually have to kind of stop and think about. All right, let's see. Let me just get this situated because I got to pull a map up here. So you're thinking, here's a, here's a guy He's explaining, he's just written this unbelievable letter, right? And in the beginning, he said, I've been prevented to come to Rome. I want to come to Rome. I want to come encourage you guys. Um, but I've been prevented. Then he says, that's what's prevented me. Okay, what has prevented him? 18, it says, For I will not be bold to speak of anything except what Christ has brought about through me leading to the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And in this way, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I will not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had... No declaration of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. 
For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come see you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope passing through to see you and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Okay, so first thing is, Paul gives an actual geographical area where he says these two crazy things. He says, one, I have fully preached the gospel. (laughs) From what he views his ministry as being. uh, A sent out one from the church at Antioch, as we know in uh, Acts 13. The second thing he says is, with no further place for me in these regions, or some translations, there's no room for me here. What, what, what area is he talking about? Like, where could he possibly mean that for him, there's no work for him to do? So, we've got the mouse here. All right, so what you guys know, you guys are familiar with this map. But from, he's saying, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which would be this, not not the boot spur there, but this um, peninsula coming down. He's saying in this area, two things. He's saying, I have fully preached the gospel and I have no further work in these regions. Is that, does that, is that crazy to you or is that just me? That's, surely not everybody was saved. Surely he hadn't spoken to every single person in those areas, there was definitely unsaved people in those areas that we know of. And for him, what he considered his work before the Lord, there was nothing for him to do. He had been through there. He had preached the gospel. He had planted churches. He had entrusted the gospel to faithful men who were going to teach other men. And, and they, had, they had a foothold in that area, a gospel foothold, churches planted throughout that area. But he saw himself as like, okay, where's the next place that has not had the first opportunity to hear the gospel? Like the Thessalonians, they, they're saved, they know where they're going, but they're a little confused on the second coming. He wrote them letters. There's places that are confused on the first coming of Christ. They've never heard that Christ even came in the first place and died for their sins. That's where I want to go. He's like, I want to go to, he said, I want to go to Spain. Spain's over here. And you guys, you in Rome, you just happen to be, when I put a target on Spain, that's where I want to go and preach the gospel now because they haven't heard. You guys just happen to be in the way. And I want to, and then since, because I've wanted to see you guys for years, I'll stop on my way and you guys can help me along. And so what we see is there's a difference between what Paul was telling Timothy to do Right? He said, stay and do the work of the evangelist. If there was no Christian work to do in that area, he wouldn't have told Timothy to stay and do the work of an evangelist and strengthen the churches and preach the gospel and share the gospel and tell the Corinthians, I am, there's, there's people that have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Like He wanted all of these places to be gospel-centered and to be sharing the gospel with everybody. But what he viewed even more important than going and strengthening these churches for the fourth or fifth time 
or even going to Rome to strengthen them because they already had the gospel was getting out to where the gospel had never been preached before. And there are still those places today. There are still places around the world where they, they have not heard the gospel yet. In their own language, they have no gospel witness. And so you'd be like, okay, well, we, we believe in missions. We know that's important. You know, why, why are we talking about this? Well, there are still foundationless people today around the world in what Christianity now, or especially in the United States, what they call missions, uh, it doesn't get there. It doesn't get to those unreached people groups. And because we've seen it, like we, we know these, I know these guys in these people groups that have never had the gospel. There's a statistic where a uh, hundred, so you got missions giving in the United States, evangelical missions giving. Only 1% of it is actually goes towards getting the gospel to these type of people groups that have never heard the gospel before. Because what's happened, probably from good intentions, starting like in the 70s, they say, well, everybody's a missionary. The, every, there's a, you know, Voluntown is a mission field. Preston's a mission field. And it's like, well, yes, we want everybody, when you walk out those doors, to be gospel-centered, to where you're sharing the gospel with everybody. But when everything becomes the target, then nothing is the target. We have to refocus and realize that there is still a place for Paul-like missions to where we need to focus to these places that have never been reached with the gospel. I'm not saying that we don't need to be gospel-centered or we don't need to be excited, but when we call everything missions, then, then nothing becomes missions. And when Paul does this in, in Romans chapter 15, when he, he gives his explanation of why he lived his life the way he did and where he, he's going, where he's going, he doesn't say, hey, you know what, I'm special. I was on my way to Damascus and Jesus knocked me off my horse and I have a special ministry. What does he do? Look at... Uh, Go back to verse 9. What he's doing here, and you keep looking for this word Gentiles or nations or peoples. Um, sorry, verse 8. He's going to give a twofold purpose of why Christ came and became a servant. For I say that Christ became a servant to the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God. One, to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And two, for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And then he just goes off on Old Testament text. He goes to 2 Samuel. He goes to Psalms. He goes through. He's saying the basis of this, the basis of why I'm living the way I'm living is because God had planned that there be some from every single people group around the world. He doesn't claim any other special reason why he's doing this other than this has been God's plan. You, you can keep going through. I challenge you just to get into, if you don't remember anything from this first hour, just remember Romans 15 and then go back there and just see what's actually going on uh, in this chapter. It's amazing. So I'm going to start, I got to get going here. So I'm going to go and, okay, so methodology, I'm going to go a little bit quicker here, right? Would we agree on this, that 
if, if a local church is not about proclaiming the gospel and then training those believers and then baptizing those believers and then faithfully proclaiming the word to see them grow and then making sure that they're being incorporated in a local church and gathering together and strengthening and functioning as a church, that, that should be essential. If there's, if there's something missing out of there, that's a, there's a big problem. That, that needs to be the core. So when Paul would go to, when his intentions, when he would go to Spain, this is what I believe he was intending to do there. This is what he did when he would write back to these places, Ephesus, um, Thessalonians, he would address them as a church because he had proclaimed the gospel, he had made disciples, um, the people were baptized, uh, they were being taught God's word, and they formed into a local church. With missions, okay, we have a lot of the same, we, we have the same goal. We want a thriving church. Preston City, we, the goal is to have a thriving church here that can handle God's word and share the gospel and grow and uh, see people matured in Christ. The barriers that we run into when we go across a cultural boundary into another language group are, are these things right here. We run into animism. Um, in different contexts, it could be uh, Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. Anything, any, any, all those things, you can heap them into a pile and say that it's man's effort to try to make themselves right before God, right? Christianity, we're saying, what did God do? Who did God send to make us um, justified in his eyes? It's, it's Christ. So th these are the things that we, the barriers that we run into. This is what makes um, what, what missions is different than just coming here. Even though there are aspects of these things that you have to take into account here, like I noticed Pastor Roseland's done good language study here. He doesn't have a beautiful accent like his mom does. Um, he's, it's, it's, he's learned the language, local language, and fits in. There's aspects, worldview, right? We say animism, worldview. There is now, we have to do more and more worldview study, even when you want to share the gospel here, right? I mean, so it is, it is part of what we do, but it's on the mission field, it's to more of an extreme. It's to as, as extreme as you can get. Um, so some of the things we do to address um, these problems is we spend time learning their culture and language. And for us, that was a long process. That was before we landed in Menya, they had a little grass hut for us built until the time we moved in as a family till we presented the gospel was 10 years because we were wading through all of these things in the middle. We were learning what their worldview was. We were learning um, their language. Underneath worldview is a language is like a subset of their worldview. Um, they're illiterate, which is not probably not much of a problem here. Um, and then their traditional customs and all of those types of things. So how do missionaries address those things? In um, I'm going to talk specifically about some of the things that um, we had to do. Um, so you got this worldview going on in here. You got this guy thinking that everything is controlled by the spirit world, 
and that there is no high God. There's no sovereign, almighty, all-powerful creator God of the universe. It's just trolls and demons and ancestor spirits that you can manipulate by doing the right thing. How do you go from that to a mature church? How do you get all the way there? <clears throat> so, let me just go to here. So, the first thing we do when we land there is we learn the national culture and language, just so we can get around the country and have function, travel. But specifically, when we moved into Menya, we had to learn their language. And from being someone who was learning disability and not talented at school or any of those things, I hated writing, hated English, hated all those things, to a language which is the, the Menya language with their verbs. Like in English, we can build verbs. Um, we can add an ED. We can add an ING. We can do a few conjugations with our verbs. It's a handful. We have to start using other words that don't even attach to the verb. Maybe 10 ways we can change them. Menya with their verb roots, they can conjugate them up to 12,000 different ways, one verb root. It's unbelievable. And so that was a long process right there. I'm not 1,200, 12,000. <laughs> 12,000 different ways they can conjugate a verb root. And so that was a huge process of just getting in there. But thankfully, I didn't go in thinking, I got this. I went in just as the village parrot, like the village idiot. I'd hear something, and I would parrot it, and they'd all laugh, and I'd laugh, and they'd be like, you didn't say the right thing. You got to say this. So I'd say what they said, and they're like, you got it. And then I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm talking with them. And uh, it was uh, almost, yeah, six years of that before the consultant said, okay, now you can dig in and start doing uh, literacy classes for these people in translation. And a couple, um, just real quick, think about, well, did Paul do culture and language study? Like, we're saying this is an important thing now. Um, one thing, when, when you think of the book of Acts, yes, there was miracles. Yes, people were getting healed, and there's different miraculous things. But I like to boil it down and say, when the Holy Spirit came, People groups heard the gospel in their heart language. The Holy Spirit came and people groups, different language. They didn't all understand one language. The Holy Spirit came and they understood the gospel in their heart language. Where do you think they were going? They were just there visiting at Pentecost. <laughs> they were going back. There was some from Rome. Could have been the people Paul was writing to. They were there. They heard the gospel in their own language and they went back. They heard it at a heart level. And, and so that's just one important takeaway from um, Acts. Another one, just think about when Paul presents the gospel there in 17. He was familiar with their idols. He was familiar with their poets. Um, he was able to use that as a way to be, these guys are there like, what's this guy going to say? And Paul's like, oh, you guys are very religious. And they're like, yeah, we like this guy. Like, let's listen. You know, he hooked them with just a few of their things and then hammered them with the gospel. So he, he was using these things um, in, the, in the way that he, he reached them. And, and think about in Acts 14, too, there was also a language culture barrier where he missed it, too, because 
he was, he was preaching and he did a miracle and then those guys went absolutely crazy and they're lining up stuff to sacrifice to him. And they're like, yep, Paul is what they thought Paul was Hermes and Barnabas was Zeus. So there was a serious culture and language barrier there that he missed at that point. It got straightened out and figured out. But there is this, um, this need to get in and do it and, and to learn it. I'm going to keep cruising. And this part of um, why learn culture and language, why Bible translation, um, I had to put these two together. I just quick put it together uh, because there would really be no need to teach the people literacy if we didn't think that the Word of God was the most important thing that we're delivering to them. So I kind of put these two together, and the reason why we do literacy is because they're illiterate. Um, the, the two go hand in hand, um, but God is a communicator, and God has chosen to communicate through his word. He did use prophets, he did use apostles, and eventually there, there was windows of time for those things, but for us now, all of that has been canonized and we have scripture and we have his word. And that is, that is the power. So that, that, that's, that's the awesome thing is we actually have what our creator God is, is telling us is the redemptive story. He's like, here it is, guys, and he gets it written down for us. And yeah, it's awesome. So that's what makes literacy important. And I'll have slides on what we have going on in Menya specifically. Um, not necessarily a worry here. I would say probably more and more we need to be focused on worldview study here than having to worry about literacy. And you guys don't have to worry about Bible translation. You guys have faithful translations um, that you can access here in the States in English. And in a, a glut of available... I mean, think how many Christian books are being written in English every single year. I mean, it's just millions and millions of dollars of of this Christian music. We have so much. Um, and, and, and some of it's very, very good. A lot of it is just, they should probably not be doing it. Um, <laughs> um, so that's why we get into literacy. Translation, um, he actually chose verbal oral communication, and that ended up in a written form. And, and I say this is important. Getting into Bible translation is important. Obviously, you guys believe that God's Word is, is what is going to strengthen a church. we got to have God's Word. But there's trends in missions for orality where you know some newer mission organizations are saying you guys are taking way too long. And it is, we're, it's a slow process, you know, 10 years before you can preach the gospel, and then 20 years to translate the New Testament. So they're pushing, go in, learn enough to tell Bible stories, and when they understand the Bible stories, listen to them, tell it back, and then that's it. They just, that's, that's the gospel message, that's what's going to continue on. And it's like, 
come on, let's play the telephone game real quick, you know, with like five people and see how long the message is going to stay pure. Like we have to have we have to have God's word written down that we can access, and the many people need that. I put um, some of what we have translated on the back there. And then, um, why foundational teaching? And I would say this is probably uh, the area that would... Th- this is what kind of sets Ethnos 360, used to be called New Tribes Mission, apart. And other mission organizations have used this um, and when I'm speaking of foundational Bible teaching, I'm saying how we presented the gospel to the many people the first time was based on years of language study and also years of culture study. We didn't have to know their culture to make sure that the gospel message was clear. We had to know their culture to know how they were going to misinterpret it. We had to predict what they were going to how they were going to take this and twist it, how it was going to be confused, what parts were going to be twisted. And so this method, um, it, on, our, on our Ethnos 360 website, if you're interested in this stuff, it's called um, Firm Foundations, basically. And you guys might be familiar with it. There's shorter versions, things like um, Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, uh, The King of Glory would be good for children, um, if you're dealing with uh, Muslim people, there's all the prophets have spoken. Um, for postmodern people, there's by this name. So there's all kinds of resources in English that basically do the same thing that we're doing. Um, but what happens is we're trying to, and I know I can't find a, a Bible verse to back this up, but you're displacing, there's, there's okay. So the gospel is what people understand and they believe. And from like a cultural side of worldview, what's actually part of what's happening is worldview is being displaced. Like to where the many people would say, I wouldn't describe that like, oh, we're going to Papua New Guinea to displace worldviews. Like, no, but they have all these, I must, I ought to, I, all these things. And all of that is based on um, their animistic worldview. And in the Muslim context, it'd be different. But there's all these things that, Make them do what they do. And so when the gospel doesn't address those things, or sorry, when the gospel is not presented in a way where they see that this not only just checks a box and now I just add this God to my list of gods or take God down and put him among the spirits that I have twisted. That's syncretism. This is completely displacing their framework that they had before. And that, that is a long process. That is still what we're, we're going through today. So what we did was we, we were four months um, starting with, um, we started with God and his word. Basically it was, we actually played the telephone story with them because their ancestor stories are passed down. And so we had, you know, them tell a story over here, 10 people, and then we had them pass a note along this 10 side over here. And they read the note over here. I mean, they told back what they heard the first time. It was the same as the note over there. This is how we started the gospel presentation. So they saw the message on each end was exactly the same. This message came out straight because it was a letter passed down. This one was all twisted. And we said, 
And then we started, we literally had a divide in the teaching house there saying, this is how you guys handle things. You pass stories down. This got all completely confused. Just in 10 people, 10 responsible adults couldn't tell a story right down. But with a letter being passed down, it came through clearly. That's what we came to tell you. Our God gave us a message and it's been passed down. You don't have to believe what I'm saying. And that's why we did literacy before we presented the gospel too. So all, well, all the literate people were actually reading God's word too as we were presenting the gospel to them. And it was a four months of teaching five days a week. And it was supposed to be, our lessons were like two hours long. And ended up almost every day was being four, four or five hours we'd be there into the night. Just They were just asking so many good questions. It was amazing. Because you start addressing... Um, First, that everything we're going to learn is coming from this book. It's coming from the Bible. Like, yes, we're going to teach. We're going to talk about it. But any questions, we're always coming back to this book. And this book is saying that God is absolutely perfect, holy, and he separates himself from sin. Man's completely fallen. Um, completely, there's, there's nothing that we could do to make ourselves right before God. Um, and then God promises to provide the payment for sin. This, I'm just thinking like Romans, sorry, Genesis chapter 1 through 3, like the detail we got into and, and even just Genesis 1 through 3 that, you know, God pursues the sinner. God, that day, the day they sinned, God was pursuing them, coming to find them, and he had the solution in hand. He came, he pursued them. He rejected their effort, right? He said, those fig leaves are not enough. You guys thought you could hide your sin, your shame, your fear with the fig leaves. Like, he rejected it. He killed an animal, skinned it, and covered them. Like, there we see, we think of, for the wages of sin is death. We think of that in Romans. It's right there in, in um, Genesis 2 and 3. Like, he, he, that, so the chronological or foundational teaching, instead of pulling out a systematic theology book and studying subject by subject, God, this is the way God chose to communicate was in the Old Testament through stories. Even the New Testament is, is more than 50% narrative. So he chooses this method of communication and we kind of be like, well, that's not the norm for us nowadays, but for the animistic context, the third world, it totally is. They're storytellers they're illiterate, they don't have books, so they love a story. They would sit there forever and listen to stories. So these themes, God is holy, starts getting pulled, um, not by definitions or you know, a systematic theology book. They're pulled through these stories that he keeps giving, that he demands um, payment for sin is, is pulled all the way through. The next story, Cain and Abel. You know, Abel came God's way, and... Cain came with his own effort. So you get to pull all these things for four months. It's like a four-month gospel message. I didn't bring our track, but it, our track is like this thick, and uh, it's a big, deep thing. Um, so where do we get to like what you guys do studying exegetically through the Bible? So we do the creation to Christ foundational teaching. That was like four months. And then you have a bunch of baby believers on your hand. 
Well, what do you do? Well, we went right, we did basically the same thing, but from creation now all the way through, we're looking at it from a believer's perspective. Now they're kind of relating to Abel instead of Cain. Now they're with Noah in the ark that God shut the door, and you come through, that's another four to six months. And then we taught through the book of Acts. Um, that was more topical, not verse by verse. Not, sorry, not topical, but we went through chronologically and just looking at what kind of themes a young church would need. You know, the church in Acts there, Peter's preaching, and they get into a food fight. They start fighting over food, and so that's where we get deacons from. And no, I'm just kidding, but really there's a lot of practical things through there where things weren't being dis- distributed right, and we needed godly men led by the Spirit to do these roles. And so we see it, it's, even that, even, even things we base our um, church structure on is coming from these stories that we get in Acts. They're still stories, so it just fits right with their worldview. Um, but then after Acts, then we dig into Romans, and that was, that's where we kind of shift to being a more um, just verse-by-verse exegetical teaching constantly. So then what the problem is, is that when we were going, it took us two years to get through the book of Romans. It's out on the table out back there if you want to see what it looks like. But the church was getting so excited about the book of Romans, they're, they're sharing what they're learning with their unbelieving family all around them. And it got to be mid-Romans, we had probably another 75 to 100 people, unbelievers, come in to hear Romans. <laughs> and, and I'm just talking with the leaders of the church, and I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? And they're like, the, we're talking about like spiritual death that comes out back in Genesis. We're talking about how you know we, we're fallen and we need new life from God. And we're talking about all these things that are foundational in Romans. And the believers, you know, the initial hundred believers, they're getting, they're clicking it, and they're so excited. They're sharing, and they go to share with the other ones, and it's just not like they don't have that foundation. So we put the whole. We put our regular meetings on hold. Sunday, Wednesday, we put it on hold, and the whole church said, let's take this group through the chronological teaching again. They're like, we're not going to meet on Sunday? I'm like, we can still, we can get together, but like, let's just, as a church body, like these 10 guys, you guys are going to be responsible for teaching with me. All the ladies, you're going to be responsible for sitting and talking, going through the questions after we go through. So then... As a, as the, uh, with the Bible teachers, we put our church on hold, our regular meetings, and we just completely catered to all these unbelievers that were coming, and it was amazing. And actually, a majority of them were coming in from the, the furthest village of the tribe to the north and the furthest to the south and coming in. And so they went, they lived with their relatives for, um, the, and we shortened that down to, uh, three months because we were we were teaching even longer like six hours a day and it was amazing there was the church was just like so, so I'm saying with this foundational teaching thing it's not something that you would continue on forever it's it's like a new believer package that is presents the gospel and then walks them up to the point where they're ready to hear Romans ready to hear Ephesians ready to hear um, these things and um yeah, so I'm, I'm going to get into more actual like 
names and people and update and what our family's doing. Um, but basically, it was Romans chapter 15. It's an amazing chapter of seeing that this wasn't just for Paul, that God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to the church in Antioch and he said, Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. For what? For what Paul and Barnabas started doing, going to where the gospel was not proclaimed yet. And there's going to be a point where many, I mean, they're a young church, they're six years old, they're not going to be the mission field forever. Like, it's going to be, they're already talking about the people group to the north to them that, that don't have. Um, the gospel yet. So Menya hopefully soon will be like completely scratched off the mission field list because Paul, he visited these places. He went back three times to strengthen and encourage and be like, they got it now. Like it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be issues, but they got it and I'm going somewhere else. And um, so that's just what the Lord laid on, on my heart um, in pennies. And um, second hour, we'll, we'll get into what's actually been going on in Menya. So um, yeah, let's, let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you that we have it in our own language. We have the complete Bible. And um, just forgive us for neglecting it and, and not cherishing it uh, like we should. And um, like David said, esteeming it more than our necessary food. And... Yeah, just help us to be in your word and taking it in. And that would overflow into just being a gospel-centered life and sharing that with, with those around us who need to hear this message. It's their only hope of salvation. We thank you for that. We thank you for this church that is standing on your word and um, taking the gospel into schools and sharing the gospel with people around them, Father. We thank you for those prayer requests. Um, just those people who need to be affected by the gospel. And we thank you that that is 100% of you and that you choose to allow us to be a part of it. I pray we would do our part, but trusting that salvation is of you and that you would prepare and draw them and open their eyes, Father God. And uh, we just thank you for this time this morning together. Thank you for this church standing behind us in Menya as um, we get to have the privilege of being there to present the gospel to these people and see them mature are now our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>